Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello everyone, Amanda Farmer here. How are you today? It is great to be with you for our very first interview episode of 2020. I am chatting with Daniel Holt, Strata Manager from Sydney's Strata Sense. Daniel and I have a pretty wide-ranging conversation, starting from a discussion about his shift from Strata Lawyer to Strata Manager what his key learnings have been in the past few years that he has been a strata manager, particularly coming from that legal background. Daniel shares with us what it takes to succeed and to really excel when it comes to strata management, his tips for strata managers who want to play their best game, including the spreadsheet that he runs his life by. Listen out for that. And as some of you may know, Daniel was actually the strata manager who was managing Opal Tower in Sydney on that fateful day, Christmas Eve 2018, when the entire building, 400 plus people needed to be evacuated. And we do talk about how personally he was impacted by that crisis, how he and his colleagues managed that situation, what his priorities were for the building and how he was able to coordinate the many, many different parties and interests involved during that crisis. Daniel shares his thoughts on how he thinks our legislation may be lacking in some important respects when it comes to dealing with a crisis. And we talk about the increasingly important issue of the perception of strata managers as professionals. Should strata managers be considered to be on the same level as strata lawyers? Should they be given the same respect? If they're not, why not? And if the management industry wants to change that, what steps should they be taking? Now, this interview was recorded towards the end of last year, 2019, We did have some technical issues. You will hear that the audio on Daniel's side is a little bit glitchy, just our internet dropping in and out there. So I do apologize for that. Don't let that distract you from this really valuable content. I'm actually going to come back to you at the end of this episode after Daniel and I say goodbye and give you my key takeaways from the episode, the standouts that I think you should have top of mind as we say goodbye. So don't switch off straight away. I shall be back with you. But right now, let's head over to my chat with Daniel Holt. Daniel Holt is a senior strata manager employed by one of Sydney's most innovative strata management firms, StratasSense. Prior to his role as a strata manager, Daniel practiced as a lawyer for four years, with the bulk of that time spent employed in a law firm specialising in strata law. Daniel says the key to being a great strata manager is respecting your client's interests, intelligence and time. Outside of the office, Daniel's passions are endurance exercise, long course triathlons, marathons and mountain biking. Wow, that is keeping you busy and fit, no doubt, Daniel. (laughs) 
Today, I am delighted to welcome Daniel Holt of StrataSense. Welcome, Daniel. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Daniel. And uh, look, I have been interested in bringing you on the show for a little while. You and I catch up every now and then at industry events and conferences. And I've kind of been watching your shift from strata lawyer to strata manager. There are actually a few of you out there who uh, did the hard yards as strata lawyers, did a few years, did your time perhaps, and decided to switch over to uh, the other side, I guess we could call it. And I'd love for you to share with us today that process, if you like, some learnings that you might have gained, some surprises you might have had along the way. Let's kick it off there. How have you found that shift from strata lawyer to strata manager? Yeah, I've loved it. I've had some trepidation coming in. But as you say, there are a number of us now making the move over. We've actually got a few ex-lawyers within our office um, who've also made the transition and I think that reflects the growing complexity of strata management in New South Wales. Mm. The days of having strata managers who just kind of fell into the profession are getting a bit behind us and particularly the more sophisticated requirements on strata schemes, which are flowing through to the managers. So I've been doing strata management now for about four years. So at the end of this year, I'll actually have been a manager longer, just a bit longer than I was a lawyer. I remember when I had the discussion with my former boss about moving over, um, he'd actually had a relationship with a problem as strata manager had also made the switch and his main advice for me was to just put aside the lawyer hat slightly and be more pragmatic because he said that if you're going to approach everything as a lawyer, you'll see risk in everything you do. Mm. And that element certainly comes through. There's a lot you need to know in strata management ranging from the legal side of things to the accounting to building construction issues. And if you find yourself just hamstrung by the volume because you're focusing on every little element of risk, you're going to run into trouble pretty quickly. But that being said, uh, despite needing to learn a lot really quickly, I've absolutely loved the transition. I think one of the things that I love most about strata management as opposed to being a lawyer is uh, getting to see the tangible results for the buildings. Being a lawyer, you're always mostly dealing with the strata managers on quite distinct tasks, chasing levies, some bylaw dispute issue as you'd be well versed in yourself. It's great to now be able to see buildings come in, meet the committee, and some of my buildings now have been with for four years really see that, how they develop, particularly with new developments over the course of four years and watch them engage in a project and see it through completion. Excellent. I can see how that is one of the big differences being a strata manager. You're working with a building on all sorts of different projects. You're with them for a number of years, if you're lucky, and uh, very different to the lawyer's role where we come in, we deal with a discrete dispute, a discrete issue. It's often the case that nobody finishes up that relationship being very happy, aside from perhaps the lawyer who gets the bill paid. But yes, a different experience as a strata manager. And it's interesting to hear you say that, that that's um, been what you've loved about it. You mentioned there being careful to take the lawyer hat off and to wear the strata manager hat. I know we're often telling our strata managers, we talk about it on the show, be very careful, strata managers, not to be giving legal advice. You facilitate the discussion, you give your clients the resources that they need to make the decision. I can imagine that would be hard if I try and put myself in your position as a lawyer, having that experience and that qualification, I suppose. Is it hard to sit back and say, I know what the legal answer is here but I know it's not my role to give it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that's something that I've spent some time adjusting to. 
coming into the role, particularly from the legal background, it was easy to jump in and say everything is a legal problem and want to extend the boundaries of what your role is. But at the end of the day, we're contracted by a specific service. Uh, we're not legal service providers, at least within our company, we're not. And we need to recognise the boundary of what is strata management services and what is legal services. And sometimes that boundary is really not as clear as you might hope. At the end of the day, strata management is at its core a legal compliance role. You are tasked in making sure that this, the owners corporation is complying with the relevant legislation. And sometimes you know the answer through the legislation, it's your job to tell them, but at other times you've got to recognise when it is time to get the lawyers involved. And there really is no hard, fast sense of when that is. And it, Often it comes down to the quantum of the dispute. If you've got a couple of hundred dollar bill that someone's arguing over, it's really not worth it to get lawyers involved. It's better to just pick up the phone and resolve that. But even in that process, you've got to be providing some advice to the owner's corporation. Again, it can be difficult to work out when is your time to step back and put it to the lawyers or tell them, look, this really is getting into the area of legal advice and beyond what we can provide for you. Yeah, and you did mention earlier that need to be pragmatic as a strata manager. And I think that's a really good example of that. Yes, there are uh, parts of the legislation that you do need to know and should know as a strata manager. There are disputes that you do need to resolve and should be able to resolve as a strata manager. And I think that's a really good rule of thumb when you're talking about particular disputes, looking at the amount of money that's involved, whether it's worth getting legal advice and taking that commercial discussion to your strata committee. Do you find you get pushback sometimes from buildings when you say, I think it's time to get legal advice on this problem, on this issue? I think we need to get a quote from a lawyer. Not not particularly. I, I think we do push fairly hard to get resolutions internally and once you've built up that good relationship with your client, if I say to my client, look, this really has reached a point, and I've had some of these discussions quite recently, this has reached a point where it's gone beyond what we're qualified to do for you. Generally, I find that they respect that, so long as they've seen that you've made the effort to, in- to resolve it internally. And often once it reaches that level of complexity, they'll see that there's benefit as well of getting out to the professional who has been separate from the situation. Because if you've been dealing with a dispute or an issue for months and months and months, you'll naturally get invested in that in some way and having the outside party give some external advice on that is beneficial to everyone and the committees generally recognise that. I think what we do differently because I've said here about avoiding going too far and giving legal advice, the flip side of that, which I saw all, all too often when I was in the law, was strata managers the moment of getting difficult hunting into the lawyers. It was incredibly frustrating seeing the number of cases that would come before the court or even just come before across our desk where you think this could have been resolved by the manager just picking up the phone and making a couple of phone calls or having a hard discussion with the committee, not just saying, well, the committee's not happy with what the bylaws do, I'll give to the lawyers to give that hard news, being willing themselves to actually sit down with the committee and say, look, we can go to the lawyers if you want. The reality is that this is what the answer is. Being able to have those hard discussions available for everyone. And once you've done that enough times with your committees, when you tell them, no, it is time to go speak to the lawyers directly, generally they respect that. Mm. It's sounding to me like it's a really fine line, isn't it, between giving them the answer that you know and are qualified and should be giving 
and not leaving it too late to send the brief off to the lawyer when there are mistakes perhaps that have been made or problems that could have been resolved if the brief had been sent earlier. It kind of reminds me of a situation where you have lawyers and barristers working yep, together, exactly solicitors and barristers. Yes, uh, and that happens to us that there may be circumstances where uh, we as lawyers think that we can handle a particular case, usually litigation, and it gets to a stage where it becomes more complex or it's going to take longer, it needs more resources than we thought and we end up briefing a barrister maybe a few days prior to a hearing and the barrister says, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for dumping that on me. Yeah, I remember when I was a law clerk up in Newcastle, the advice I got from my solicitor there was brief early and brief off and I remember coming down to the law with that attitude of you get the barrister on as early as possible but it just doesn't work pragmatically or from a cost perspective to get a barrister involved incredibly early all the time and it's exactly the same conundrum we face in strata management or when do you get the experts involved and that might not necessarily be a lawyer for instance most of our buildings will have building managers and we rely on their expertise such as it is quite some way and it's also in those circumstances recognizing when is it time to give this to an engineer or a consultant notwithstanding they'll incur some additional costs and as, as you say it is a fine line mm. and it's a line i'm still finding and every strata manager is going to still struggle to find when it is the right time to move it out of your office and into the hands of another professional, just as you as a long-standing practitioner of law, will still have times when you're questioning when is the time to move back. So. Mm, definitely. Now, we're talking around a few of these things, Daniel, but I want to ask you straight out, what do you think makes a good strata manager? Yeah, I've been reflecting on this a fair bit in the last couple of days in preparation and you quoted, I think, from my LinkedIn about uh, a great strata manager starting from a position of respect. And I think ultimately that is where it starts from. You need to have respect for your committee and your owners and the gravity of what you do and how that impacts people's lives and livelihood. I've always tried to take the approach of saying, um, well, my parents live in the house. I always say, what, how do I want my grandparents to be treated? They live in their small little strata unit up in Charlestown, Newcastle, and just bring it back to how would they want to be treated. And that comes down to the basics of if someone reaches out to you with an email or phone call, get back to them. If you are having a meeting with someone, you turn up on time, well-presented, well-prepared. But that's really where it starts. And I think lots of strata managers who enter the industry have that right attitude. But ultimately, where strata managers need to work in order to excel is in time management and workflow management. Because we work in a fairly high-volume industry and people who don't get back to their clients, who are always rushing to meetings at the last minute, reading the financials as they walk in, it's not necessarily coming from a place. So we've all seen it. And if you're on the other end, I'm the strata committee member of my strata scheme. You, you recognise it when it happens. And it's not coming from a place of outward disrespect. It's often coming from a place of losing control of your workload, losing control of your portfolio. And I have some sympathy for the managers who find themselves in that situation. So it comes down to at the end, start of every day, I come in, I open up my spreadsheet that I run my life by look over and say, what do I need to do today? Open my emails after I've ordered my day and start getting back to people. I don't know if I'm not able to give them an answer straight away, tell them where I'm able to get back to them. But then it becomes broader than just the manager themselves. And you really do need to have the structures around you to manage the complexity of strata management in 2019 going into 2020. For instance, uh, we're expected to know or at least have a base level understanding of the legal side of things. And that's fine. I'm well across that. Accounting. 
you're also expected to understand building defects and construction items. You're increasingly tracking a large number of compliance items around window locks, annual fire safety statements. To succeed and really excel in strata management, you need to have the structures around you to manage that well. And that's the challenge that's facing the industry, is the need to develop those structures and still deliver them to your clients in a cost-effective manner because at the client end of things, there are some clients who really value great strata management, but on the other hand, there is still such a push for low fees. Mm. And that's the the industry is really struggling to come to grips with. And do you think your clients or uh, residents generally know and understand this burden, as I see it, that strata managers have to be across all of these things? And if they don't, what role do you see for us as an industry to increase that awareness and that understanding so that it opens the door for strata managers to be able to charge more fees, to be able to become more professional. In my mind, that's all kind of linked. How does it sit for you? Absolutely. Look, if we put aside, well, residents are one element, but owners generally, look, they don't have a full understanding of what we do. Committee members, particularly the long-standing committee members, when they see the volume of emails that are going out, when they see the complexity of the issues we're dealing with, they gain a respect for it. They value it when you work with them. And that just takes some time. And that's what really needs to extend just beyond the committee members, beyond the owners who might come to the AGM, to the owners who don't turn up at all until they say the levies are going up and they're not happy about it. People need to be able to value what's being done in their strata more so that the industry as a whole can lift its sense of professionalism. And that's the transition we've been going through, at least the entire time I've been involved in strata management, both as a manager and previously as a lawyer. It's not the industry it was 20, 30 years ago. Not that I was involved in it 20, 30 years ago, but it is so much more sophisticated and we need to get through to owners that level of sophistication and they need to have a better understanding of what they're buying into. And you see examples in the media all the time of misunderstandings of these things. I recall in Mascot Towers, I think the Premier made some statement about the strata needs to be held accountable, the strata needs to be doing its job. Hmm. That is a meaningless statement. It means nothing. Strata, as a word on its own, does not mean anything. Does that mean the strata manager, the owners' corporation, the strata committee? If that's a level of sophistication we're getting from the government, well, that needs to improve because owners aren't going to strive to have a better understanding if that's the message we're getting through the media. Yep, it's definitely a big task that needs to be tackled from a number of angles. I can't leave off this topic, Daniel, without asking you about your spreadsheet. (laughs) <laughs> Tell us about the spreadsheet that you open up each day when you get into the office. What is that? No, oh, it's got a couple of different tabs on it. The main one is just a daily planner. I'm able to shift around the tasks and colour code them by priority and set aside times for responding for emails, set aside time for basic admin. Then the other sheet will have a list of all my schemes, key details on it, and just use it to track basics like when is the last time I spoke to my building manager, when is the last time I spoke to my committee member. That's not an issue with the larger schemes, but it's easy to let a small scheme get away where you haven't spoken to them in, in some time and you lose that immediate touch point and they don't realise what you you might still be doing for them. So those kind of basic details, just once every week, plonk in, when is the last time I spoke to someone, when's the last time I caught up with a community member. Mm, great. Is this something that you've developed or is this part of the StratoSense toolkit? Uh, we, we've all internally got something like that and we've got various systems to track that because we're really trying to make sure we don't lose sight of those basics of client engagement. 
because that, that's what's at risk if you have a particularly busy week is either you're going to focus on the really big tasks, which must be done, and that's important that you do tick those off, or you're just going to get on that treadmill of answering emails, in which case it's the squeaky wheel that you're paying attention to. It's important that we have the regular check-ins with our team to work out, okay, when is the last time you sat down with them and had a coffee and just checked in on how they're going. So that's a big focus for us is making sure that we're having these checkpoints to make sure those things aren't getting away from us. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Let's get into challenges, Daniel. Would you mind sharing, if you've got one, I'm sure, I'm sure you've got a few, <laughs> any particular challenge that you've faced as a strata manager? And I'd love to hear in particular how you're, you're balancing the strata lawyer hat with the strata manager hat when you're facing those challenges. Yeah, well, let's just go straight for the biggest one, which would be Opal Tower. So I was the manager of Opal Tower until a couple of months ago, which meant that early this year and midway through this year was a pretty busy time. So that... I could talk for hours about, about Opal Tower. There's so many different elements to it and it's been through such a journey. But look, it all started on Christmas Eve last year and when that all happened, it was go, go, go. It was phone calls every couple of moments, whole of Christmas Eve, working whole of Christmas Day. And um, the way I attempted to approach that was on Boxing Day. I've been up to Newcastle on Christmas Day and I just needed to get back to work because seeing it in the media was quite confronting, as it was for the owners. and members who are out of home for all this. So on Boxing Day, I came into the office and just drew up on a big bit of butcher paper, clear mission statement of what the owners' corporation was there to do in that situation, and then laid out the priorities that flowed from that and what that meant for us as a team and for structure as a whole. That was the framework I used to try to deal with Opal Tower and to try to bring the committee and the owners and our team back to those clear sense of mission throughout. You do have issues like that come up from time to time and hopefully never of that magnitude again but it's certainly not been the first major crisis I've had to deal with in my time in Strasense but the when you get in that situation the most important thing is to have that clear sense of mission so you can filter it down through the other parts of the management the owners corporation whether that be the committee or whether that be the building manager so that's that's how we approached it that was December 26th of last year and it, it's still going there have been many, many different elements to it. And I think what you'd say about Opal is that, what I've said throughout is that, look, there's not been a single challenge in Opal that we haven't seen before. It's every challenge you can possibly have in Strata. It's just in all, <laughs> all, the, the, same, it's all at the same time. Yeah. And it's, it was with a new building with committee members who are still finding their feet in Strata and who were there themselves, not just committee members, but owners who are suddenly out of their home, not knowing what's happening there in investment. All those owners on the 27th and 28th of December did not know when they were going home. I remember on Christmas Eve, the media stories about what was happening in that building. That was harrowing for me as the manager. For those owners, it was something else entirely. And trying to guide them through that process was certainly the greatest challenge of my professional life to date. But again, it just came back to work out what are the priorities and drive those priorities to the exclusion of all others. And filter that message through to the team, say, okay, here is team what we do, and this is what we're going to focus on. Those priorities really maintain and repair the common property, mitigate the losses to the owner's corporation, and continue to manage the owner's corporation as required to by law. 
Now, is that something that you also involve the committee members in? You mentioned they're coming into the office on Boxing Day and developing that mission statement. How do you coordinate that committee? I don't know what the size of the committee was at that stage, but you've got your team in the office. You've then got the committee. You're the manager, so you're, I imagine, doing the face-to-face communication. How do you coordinate all of those people? Well, after doing that big bit of butcher paper, the second task I undertook was I created a big spreadsheet because I love spreadsheets of all the different parties and who the different contact points were within those different parties. Because particularly on Christmas Eve, I conceived as my, of my role when you had builders on site, emergency services, at all these experts getting in trying to identify and solve the problem. My role there, as I conceived it, was to appropriately funnel the communication so that everyone's phone wasn't just clogged up. That was the immediate challenge. So creating a spreadsheet that said, here is all the different organisations, everyone from the builder, developer, to government departments, local council representatives, the fire department, and work out who speaks to who in those situations. Within the committee, we then developed a platform that was off email to communicate, a platform called Workplace, which you might be familiar with. It is effectively a premium version of Facebook. So rather than having these reply all threads where they quickly become 200, 300 emails and impossible to manage, you have clear threads of communication on separate topics. It's a lot easier to follow. And then just by virtue of necessity, it was a case of basically weekly meetings with the committee until things settled down. So I have to respect their time and they're not necessarily able to sit there on email 24-7 much as they really did endeavour to do so, and they gave up a huge amount of their time, we just need to resume pretty frequent face-to-face contact. And did you find that your focus 100% had to be on this building while this was happening, or were you also managing your other buildings at the same time? Well, look, it was double-edged sword in terms of happening over Christmas, so it was incredibly personally challenging. It was also during our office shutdown. So we did have some leeway where we didn't need to make an immediate assessment of what happens to the remainder of the portfolio. But we did manage in different ways depending on buildings. Some of the buildings were transferred to other managers. In other cases, I was able to still be the strata manager and have colleagues handling some of the different elements of the building. But at the end of the day, it wasn't just me impacted by this. It, it flowed through to the whole office and there wasn't a single person in our office who wasn't involved in it in one way or the other and how that was represented to clients really just depended on building to building. You've mentioned there the personal challenge, uh, no doubt being contacted on Christmas Eve to say we've got to evacuate an entire building. We're not sure why, we're not sure when they're coming back. Can you talk us through that feeling and how you dealt with that, that feeling of, I imagine, because I get it too, I imagine it's the feeling of, oh, there goes my Christmas or my whatever I've had planned. I have to deal with this. I don't particularly want to. Is this really my job? Do I, you know, do these people appreciate it? All of that going through your mind. How do you deal with that and and get yourself to the office to keep going? Well, I mean, this is about the third, I'd say the third major crisis I've had to deal with it. Some of those thoughts went through my head and some of it doesn't. I don't, I'm not saying I I like the crisis, (laughs) no one likes this, but I didn't have any sense of is this going to be appreciated or there goes on Christmas. It was, there was a sense of getting a sense of the scope of that pretty quickly and that was beyond what we dealt with before. I remember I was home and I was doing a little list of what I need to do in terms of some housework before going to Christmas Eve with my in-laws and I called my wife and told her what was happening and 
And then she came home and she said, so are you ready to go to dinner? <laughs> and I just, I just said, no, you, you're not getting the scope. I'm not going to dinner, or at least not the time that she thought. Uh, because we had, I had the initial phone call which said, you've, you've got an issue here, and I said, okay, put your work hat back on, you know I'm on holidays, get to work, find out what's happening. That was the first moment. And then the second moment was when it hit the news. And at that point, I'd have my work phone out and on the charge of my emails open. And that's when it really expanded beyond what we dealt with before to, no, this is really quite big. And it was challenging, but just had to bring it back to empathising with, well, if you were in this situation, you wouldn't care that it's the Australian manager's Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. These are people out of their home. And I remember getting close to midnight on Christmas Eve and there were still discussions about whether people would go home. And there were people in Bicentennial Park not knowing where they were sleeping on Christmas Eve. And I just can't imagine how horrifying that must have been. People with young children not knowing where they're going. So that just put it into perspective and, to be honest, the personal element of it just goes away and you just do what needs to be done. Mm. And, look, I don't want to dig too deep into um, the media side of things, but is there anything that you do want to share in terms of managing that process as a strata manager? I think more and more our strata managers are going to have to learn how to effectively deal with media. Any tips you want to share there? From an Opal Tower point of view, look, there was a lot of interesting, from a management perspective, issues that came out of that, which I think needs some examination. It was really the Strata Management Act and all surrounding legislation being put under a real stress test to see how they practice in reality. And some of it holds up quite well, some of it less so. I think we all know how strata committees are intended legally to make decisions, which is through validly convened meetings. That structure all works quite well in theory. Give you notice. Other owners are entitled to see what's proposed to be decided. Get together, you form a quorum, you take a vote, you issue minutes. I think with Opal and other buildings I've dealt with in a crisis, that structure is really put under great strain because you're often the owner's corporation is being asked to make 50 different decisions a week. Our strata scheme, the notice period is still three days for a strata committee meeting, but you're also required to post it to all owners. That might mean it's two weeks before you can get your meeting together. The decision you need to make, the 50 decisions, things have moved on since then. Every owner is entitled to turn up to a committee meeting. What happens when you've got a building where these owners are crying out for information? If they know there's a meeting, they're going to turn up. It means you cannot convene a meeting in the foyer of the building. You need to book a meeting space that can facilitate 400 people. This is where you end up in a situation where a lot of decisions are being made under delegated authority or by way of ratification of those meetings because the administrative burden in those circumstances on the strata community and the owners' corporation just gets incredibly large. Even booking spaces that fit and facilitate a meeting with 400 people there. So that can add up very quickly. I think there needs to be some more flexibility in terms of how those structures work, more emphasis on electronic meetings to allow decisions to be made in those high-pressure environments with a bit more urgency than strict wording of the Management Act seems to require. Mm. And maybe some provisions that acknowledge there will be situations of urgency. I know we do have provisions when it comes to carrying out work and getting access to lot property in emergency, but you make a very good point about the meeting notice periods and how those provisions don't acknowledge that 
we may need to do things a little bit differently in meeting. And I imagine there would be down the track, if not immediately, some criticism of a strata manager or a committee who doesn't comply strictly with those procedures and does attempt to ratify later or have decisions that are made over email that are ratified later. You have to be ready for that and prepared to answer it and to explain why it was that a decision was made that way. Well, it's not necessarily the case that there'll be criticism of the decisions that have been made. I think by and large, the tower community was quite unified in what needed to be done. Where it becomes an issue is if there are these structures that are in place in the legislation that don't necessarily work in practice, then people are going to lose faith in the legislation. People need to have faith that the legislation that's being followed is there for a reason and works well in a crisis. And some elements of it did. But just in terms of that decision-making process, it's too long a notice period. And we see this in other schemes where we need to call an AGM to, say, approve legal services. If you require an AGM at seven days' notice plus your seven business days' postage, if you have an urgent legal matter, things can progress very rapidly within two and a half weeks. Legal fees can add up very rapidly within two and a half weeks. So those notice periods have just gone too long, or at least there needs to be more flexibility in those notice periods for when you have a legitimate crisis that requires it to be shortened. Mm. Any other uh, key learnings from facing this big challenge, Daniel, that you want to share with us? Uh, look, I, I could probably talk another couple of hours, but I think I might leave it there because there, there is just so much to be said. Every challenge you could possibly face came up. I know that in some particular circumstances, I actually sent out a link to your podcast on some particular items of the committee. Thank you. I think one of the takeaways is the lack of lack of external resources for committee members, mm-hmm. for owners. That there really needs to be more available so that when owners are facing a crisis and they need to go somewhere to get information, they can get it from a source that they can trust. And look, fair trading made themselves available on some items, but they were mainly focused on the rental loss side of things. There wasn't as much available to the owners and the community members as I think they'd like because they're in a really stressful situation and it would have been very helpful, I think, to them to have something objective in writing, providing more clear guidance to how this works. For instance, look, strata management was all set up in the 50s and 60s with this idea that it was all going to be self-run. Uh, that doesn't really work anymore, but you should be able to read the legislation and get a relatively good handle on what is intended to happen in most circumstances without needing to go to lawyers or without needing to consult your strata manager great. Like obviously there are issues that are hugely complex that you will inevitably need to do that. But for instance, in the running of meetings, there are a whole range of challenges that come up from time to time, not necessarily just in Opal, but in other buildings, where there's not clear guidance in the in the management act as to what is to occur. For instance, if someone wants to record a meeting, I know that's something you've discussed before. Your view, and I've shared, is that it needs to be with the consent of the room. But what happens if you have a minority who aren't happy with that? Does that mean their rights are just discounted? What happens if someone has an objection with a particular person? These are issues where there is no clear guidance whatsoever in the Management Act. And I know you could probably turn around and tell me, well, if you look at this analogous case in corporate law, there are answers, and there probably are answers legally. But I don't think it's good enough that on something as simple as how meetings are run, people should have to go to a lawyer and consult analogous cases in corporate law to get a clear answer. There is definitely space there for more clear guidance, clear documentation from the government or someone else 
that you can give to owners and community members to help them in getting a better understanding of how management is supposed to work. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. I see that gap as well. And uh, as much as we work hard to try and fill that gap, as things get more complex, our legislation gets more complex, the issues we're challenged with get more complex, the gap gets wider, the hole gets deeper, there's more work to do. So, And, and adding add in the complexity of the language barrier. Mm, Sydney yes. is a multicultural place. We have great difficulty in explaining some concepts in strata law well-educated people who speak English as a first language, you add in the barrier of language to that and it becomes impossibly complex. We've got some very good multilingual staff in our office who really go to pains to try to explain to people who don't speak English as a first language. But even trying to translate some of these issues, how do you translate unit entitlements Mandarin? There, there might not be an analogous concept in that language. The more complex management becomes, more difficult it is for us to explain it, particularly to a very diverse audience. And with the issues that we're facing in the industry, I think what will happen is more complexity will be introduced, more owners' requirements on owners' corporations to avoid issues we've seen, like in Mascot Tower and other buildings where they're facing huge issues in Strasskins that have been existing for years. There'll be more complex requirements. And either that needs to fall on the manager or some other professional who inevitably will need to charge for their time or will need to be reduced to some level that strata corporations can take more control of their own situation and have a better understanding of what needs to happen themselves. And just piling more complexity on top of things is not, is not assisting and get people getting an understanding of what they need to do. Mm, yes, it is a uh, difficult issue to face and to resolve. It's interesting, though, that we do come back to increasing the professionalism of strata managers, the education, the experience, and ultimately the fees that they charge. And no doubt I will get emails from owners who are listening to this podcast saying, Amanda, don't call for our strata managers to be raising their fees. But I do look at you guys and see you in, the, in a very similar position to lawyers. And we have been charging for our time for many, many years and charging on a per minute basis in some offices and lawyers are looked at differently to strata managers but often I'm sitting in a meeting doing a very similar job to what you strata managers are doing and for whatever reason getting paid a lot more so there's a real uh, issue to be agitated there and I don't mind talking about it. No, I'm sure we've talked about it for some time. Look, that, that was another adjustment coming out of the law. When you said you're a lawyer there was a lot more immediate respect given to that position than that of the strata manager. And I'm not saying that that's a challenge for the people who are in a position of giving or not giving that respect. That's a challenge for the industry as a whole to work out how we get to a place where we're given the same level of respect as lawyers do because it is a profession. It's becoming increasingly difficult to carry out and be a professional in this area. And we need to get to the point where that is more recognised and valued by our clients. And that is a challenge for the industry as a whole. Yep, I agree. All right, Daniel, I am going to jump into the book question. What books have had the greatest impact on you and why? I was dreading this question because <laughs> I do read a fair bit, but most of my reading is at the end of the day to wind down, so I don't read a lot of nonfiction or anything like that. I, mm-hmm. The honest answer would probably be the book Catch-22. I remember reading it in high school uh, and loved it. I don't know what attracts me to it so much, but I always come back to it every couple of years for a reread. Love that book, and if you haven't read it, you need to read it. Did you catch the show? The, uh, yeah. It was a mini series or something. I don't know if it was Netflix or. Yeah, I think it's on Stan. Oh, it was all right. It changed the tone of the end a fair bit, which I'm not entirely sold on, but 
still worth a watch if you haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for sharing. I have a feeling this uh, episode is going to be a little longer than our usual, but there's lots and lots in there for managers to learn from and for owners to know about the inside view on strata management. And I, I do appreciate you sharing your experience of that shift from lawyering to managing. Let us know how our listeners can find out more about you and if there's anything you'd like to add before we wrap up. Yep. Look, if anyone wants to contact me, you can give me daniel.holt at strassense.com.au, reach out on LinkedIn. Just one last little shout-out would be to a couple of team members. As I said, the year really did impact everyone. There was no one in the office who wasn't impacted by what happened in Opal, but I'd particularly like to give a shout-out to Karina Brennan and Ching Lu of our office. They handled lots of the first phone calls, um, came to lots of the meetings. Ching was very helpful in terms of dealing with tampering speaking owners out there. So I thought I'd just give some recognition to them. Thank you very much. Well, you're a busy man. Uh, Amongst your triathlons and your marathons, you're also um, got plenty of buildings to manage and I'll let you go and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that wide-ranging chat between myself and Daniel. As I predicted, I think this episode has been a little bit longer than our usual. But we did cover quite a few areas there. My key takeaways from the episode, I have three for you today. Daniel opened up a really important discussion about the fine line that we walk when it comes to the decision to get experts involved, whether that be lawyers, barristers, engineers, when is it time to call in someone other than or in addition to your strata manager? That's a really important question for committee members, for strata managers. And as Daniel and I discussed, it's a question that I face as a lawyer. And I think the answer comes down to the particular circumstances of every single situation, whether it's a legal dispute, whether it is a repair issue for the common property, you've really got to think about exactly what's happening. And I don't think there can be any hard and fast rules about the time to call in experts or even who those experts might be. Often I know that strata managers use, for example, different lawyers for different problems. They've recognized over their years of experience that some lawyers handle litigation particularly well, others handle contract advices, others handle bylaws, and they cleverly farm out their work to the most suitable expert. My advice to committee members and to strata managers is to keep an open mind about this question of when do we call in the experts and who do we use. Make sure that you do have a wide range of reliable, high-performing contacts who you can turn to when you need to. And as Daniel says, sometimes just picking up the phone and having that initial conversation is going to put you in good stead. If you have a quality professional that you're talking to, they should be the ones to direct you as to whether you're going to benefit from their services at that particular point in time. I know regularly when I'm asked by strata managers if it's time for me to get involved, I'm often explaining why it might not be the right time for the owner's corporation to be spending money on getting legal advice. And if you're working with a trusted professional, then you should be able to get that reliable guidance. But it is certainly an issue to be alert to, and I'm really glad that Daniel raised that one. Secondly, our discussion about Opal Tower 
Daniel said it really well, I thought, when he said there was not a single challenge that we hadn't seen before. It was simply that all the challenges happened all at the one time. And as strata managers, I want you to have a think about whether you think you could handle all of the challenges happening all at the one time. Do you have the systems in place? Do you have the technology, the spreadsheets that you may need to implement at short notice to be able to keep track of all the personnel involved? Daniel talked about the builder, the developer, the government departments, the committee members, the lawyers, the priorities that had to be decided very quickly and how the entire office had to work together to be able to best service their client amidst that challenge. Do you have structures in place to assist people whose first language may not be English, whether it's staff members who are able to assist or an agency that you can turn to if you need to translate important information at short notice. As Daniel points out, our population living in strata is increasingly diverse and we need to think about taking that into account when we're putting in place our crisis management plans. And lastly, our discussion about increasing the professionalism of strata managers. How do strata managers get to a place where they're given the same respect as lawyers? I think that has to come down to the level and quality of a strata manager's education and qualifications. At the moment, it's possible to become a strata manager after completing a course that lasts for a few days. That is obviously very different to the degree qualification that is necessary for a lawyer and the high level of continuing professional development that lawyers are required to complete. Do you, owners, committee members, have any suggestions for how your strata manager might be a better professional? Is that something you're willing to share with your strata manager? If not directly, then share it with us by posting a comment under this podcast episode. It's only by talking about these issues, about these challenges, the struggle to improve, that I believe we can start to make real and important change. So that's it for this week. If you keep those key takeaways top of mind, then I think you are well-placed to tackle another week in Strata. And I'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?